Welcome to our 13th episode of Two Tankers and a Cat. We are your host, I'm Charlie. And I'm Russell. Well, when I walked into the studio today, uh, I noticed the Venetian blinds were uh, kind of tore up. And I'm like, uh, Russ, why is there a hole in your Venetian blinds? Oh, that's kind of funny that you asked that. Um, that's got a little bit to do with our mascot. She will actually get up on her cat tower and look out the window. And over the last several months, she's tore the holy heck out of the Venetian blinds so that she can see out a lot easier. Great. So uh, if anybody would like to donate, uh, hit the Patreon button or the uh Support button, PayPal, I think we've got. We don't have Patreon yet. Do yeah, we? not yet. It's still in the works. Uh, or, or just send some Venetian blinds to Russ because lightning is to a huge hole. Yeah. Apparently, she likes bird watching. Yeah, she likes to watch the birdies. I don't think it's like we do. I think she's looking for a quick meal. <laughs> yeah. um, we wanted to thank uh, everybody for listening and tuning in today. Uh, we really appreciate it. We've got big news coming. Russ is working on the technical part of it, but we are going to start doing some interviews with uh, some of the authors of some really big books. And uh, we're actually going to do some uh, interviews with some of the people that you see on YouTube uh, doing videos, uh, some of the Twitch star people, some of the World of Tanks people we're going to do some stuff with. So it's actually looking pretty you know, exciting for us. Yeah, that's, that does sound really exciting. And I'm working pretty darn hard trying to, to figure out a way to to do those interviews over the internet and and make them sound like they're right there with you too. As you know, our uh, episode before this was uh, why the Sherman is the best tank on the Western front. Well, this episode is going to be why the Sherman is the second best tank on the Eastern front. And and of course that's going to be the Soviets pushing towards Soviet invasion and then the Soviets pushing back uh, all the way to Berlin and we'll get into the Battle of Berlin, too. But we got a uh, comment from, well, I'm going to kill his name. His name is Doug Ramsberg out of Archie, Missouri. And uh, he said, well, wait a minute. Uh, there were five tanks in, in a Sherman platoon or an American Army platoon. And it took five to kill a Panzer tank, you know, a German Panzer tank and he means anything from Tigers to Panthers to PZ-3s. And a lot of people have claimed that. There is actually documentaries that I've seen, and that is just such a silly claim. Uh, there is no basis uh, for it. Keep in mind that the Germans lost more tanks to the U.S. than the U.S. lost to the Germans. No, uh, that wasn't part of the tactics of the u.s army to send five tanks and have three you know get shot while the other two try to sneak behind or or one to run into a ditch uh well we were actually watching a documentary it's just not true there was standard yes the shermans had a five-man platoon but you know there was none of them say hey i'm gonna let them shoot at me and kill me and then you guys can sneak behind (laughs) it's not that's not how it really was. Yeah. But it's a good question, and there's a lot of bad information, a lot of bad information about the Sherman tank. Give us some start. Give us a start on this Eastern tanks. Yeah. The most important tank produced by the United States during World War II, as we all know, was the M4 Sherman. 
and it served in many other Allied armies also. Uh, one country that employed it was Russia, where tanks were supplied under the Lend-Lease program. Now, when we talk about Russia, uh, remember that it was called the Soviet Union at the time. Um, there was many countries, Ukraine and uh, other countries that were involved. We're, we're not trying to give you wrong information, but it's easier for us to say Russian at this period in our uh, history. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. At a time when the Red Army was facing severe shortages of tanks due to combat losses and relocation of industrial production facilities, uh, Allied tanks like the M4 helped plug several gaps. When we get into the uh, battle in Berlin and stuff like that, and we're going to get into the initial invasion, uh, people say, well, the KV-1s and T-34s were lined up, you know, waiting for the Germans. And I'm like, no, sort of. They had, a, they had you know, a couple hundred T-34s. They had a couple hundred uh, KV-1s. But they had thousands of these light tanks, these BT-2s, T-45s, and stuff like that. that those tanks weren't top-notch. They were light tanks. And even back in the beginning of the war, they didn't have, you know, a a effective medium tank. So they started screaming for American tanks. We were helping out our allies, so we were definitely shipping them over. I'm sorry, Russ, go ahead. Yeah, in uh, 1941 to 1942 time period, Lend-Lease tanks accounted for almost 15% of Russia's tank force. Uh, The Red Army operated the M4A2 a diesel engine version of the famous tank and initial deliveries were armed with the 75 millimeter gun while later vehicles featured a 76 millimeter gun. That still kills me. We had the 76s and uh, ready for D-Day theater generals were like, oh, we, well, we're going to take the 75s. We don't need the 76s. And the Soviets were kind of like, Give us the 76s. Exactly, yeah. Take those off your hands. A lot of people say, oh, you know, the Soviets hated the Shermans. I'm like, no, no. If the Soviets didn't like a tank, they wouldn't take it. They they actually refused like our uh, armored cars, you know, some of our armored cars that we were sending over. And uh, they were like, no. I mean, they researched these tanks, and they liked them. Yeah, they knew what they were getting. Uh, Did you know that one of the designers of the Sherman was actually a Russian engineer by the name of Timoshenko? No. Uh, he was actually a shirt tail relative of Marshal Timoshenko. He was the general that caused the Finnish army to sue for peace in March of 1940. Okay, so basically what you're telling me is a Soviet general that, you know, was famous over in the Soviet Union for all these battles and stuff. One of his relatives actually designed the Sherman. Yeah, yeah. So everybody says, oh, only the Soviets make the best tanks. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, they made the Sherman. Yeah, there you go. So everybody out there saying, oh, oh Soviet tanks are the best. Well, yeah, guess had, what? They had a hand in what they got from our Lend Lease. So. All right, there you go. The Soviet Union's nickname for the U.S. M4 Sherman medium tank was Imcha. Because the open-topped Arab numeral, numerical figure, four, resembled the Cyrillic letter, chi or cha. Oh. Interesting little fact there. Okay. The M4A2s used by the Red Army were considered to be a much less prone to blow up 
due to ammunition detonation than their T-34-76 counterparts, uh, but had a higher tendency to overturn in road accidents and collisions or because of rough terrain due to their much higher center of gravity. Okay, so what did they call, what was the Russian name for the Sherman? The Imcha. Imcha, and they were saying that it overturned more than T-34-76. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because the Soviets usually were charging full speed. Oh, exactly. Ah. They probably had the pedal to the metal, man. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to go full speed and turn a tank. <laughs> uh, if, you don't, if you're wondering what I mean, you can go to YouTube and look yeah. up tank accidents. <laughs> There's tons of great, you know, wham, bams. Under the Lend-Lease, uh, 4,102 M4A2 medium tanks were sent to the Soviet Union. Of these, 2007 were equipped with the original 75mm main guns, and 2,095 were actually mounting the more capable 76mm tank guns. So they had over 2,000 of these 76s. Wow, that's yeah. neat. It looks like they had about half and half, generally. So, yeah, uh, that makes sense because they got, what, 4,100? Yeah. And you split yeah. that up. The total number of Sherman tanks sent to the USSR under the Lend-Lease represented about 18.6% of all Lend-Lease Shermans. So that's that's a pretty good little percentage. So they were taking, uh, and that's for everything, for the British. Yeah, and yeah, for all of French them that was taking them. Polish, yeah. all right. The first 76-millimeter armed M4A2 diesel fuel Shermans started to arrive in the Soviet Union in the late summer of 1944. So they wanted the diesels because uh, the Soviet, you know, weather being so cold, and they were they had a little bit more diesel fuel than our regular gasoline. Yeah. And again, no, the gasoline did not cause the M4s <laughs> to burn. It was the ammunition, and as soon as we put in wet racks, that went down to like yeah, 10%. That took care of that problem there. By 1945, some Red Army armored units were standardized to depend primarily on the M4 Shermans and not on their Soviet Union T-34 counterparts. Such units include the 46th Guards Tank Brigade, the 1st Guards Mechanized Corps, the 3rd Guards Mechanized Corps, the 9th Guards Mechanized Corps, among several others. So those are, you know, some pretty famous tank units. Yeah. And, And they were Shermans. Sure. All right. Yeah. Excellent. The Shermans were largely held in good regard and viewed positively by many Soviet tank crews, which operated it before. Compliments mainly given to its reliability, ease of maintenance, generally good firepower, and decent armor protection, as well as an auxiliary power unit. Auxiliary power unit was actually used to keep the tank's batteries charged without having to run the main engine for the same purpose as the Soviets' own T-34 tank required. They had this auxiliary power unit, and they didn't have to actually start their tanks to, you know, make the noise, number one. Yes. The tanks sitting out there running just to charge the batteries, which is dangerous, yeah. especially when artillery and scouts are trying to find out where your location is. Yeah, and you figure there's probably wasting gas or, you know, diesel fuel on that, too. I and mean, yeah, yeah, there's a good point. That was just sitting there mm-hmm. idling. It's probably burning a lot of gas. After the M4 Shermans were updated with wet ammo racks, uh, they caught fire 10% of the time, and comparing that to the Soviet T-34, and they'd usually catch fire about 80% of the time. You know, I, I hate to say that, but 
there's tons of video footage when, you know, a T-34 is getting hit. And there's even stories uh, where the T-34s were charging forward and would get hit and, you know, the guys would stand up through the hatches and, and the t- tank would be still on fire racing forward. Scare the crap out of the Germans. Holy cow. Yeah, that's crazy there. Well, I've got a question for you. Was sure. the M4 Sherman ever used in the largest tank battle ever, the Battle of Kursk? Uh, no. Uh, M4 Shermans were uh, generally, well, they would have been barely delivered by 43. Kursk happened uh, July 5th. Uh, 1943 to what, August, about the first month of August uh, of 1943. Added to the fact that the Soviets took a long time to populate units uh, with lend-lease tanks, in 1944 there were many units that were entirely comprised of M4s, but again, uh, curse happened before they actually got delivery and, and set up. Some of the lend-lease armor that was at Kursk, I did check this out. They had uh, 31 Valentines. They had 42 Churchills, uh, the Mark III Churchills. Like, uh, it's a Tier Five premium tank in World of Tanks. Yeah, you, I think you've got one, too. Yeah, right? I do. Yeah. Yes. Great tank. It is. Um, and they had 75 uh, M3 Stuarts, and they had 58 M3 Lees. Gotta love the lead. Yeah, ten you foot do. Tall. <laughs> ten <laughs> foot tall and foolproof. <laughs> And so far, our record holder of all our podcasts on, on height. I think that's the tallest tank we've done yet. <laughs> it is. But they brought 58 of those. So, you know, and, and the Stuarts, everybody's like, well, the Stuarts got a little gun. Well, I was doing research, and they actually, I think it's Brazil, put a 90-millimeter gun on a Stuart. Oh, wow. We'll try to do an episode oh, on that. Oh, yeah, that's worthy of an episode there. But our historical tank people are going to go, wait a minute. No, the Stuart never had a 90 millimeter. Well, yeah, it did, and we'll do an episode someday <laughs> and explain it. Um, you know, there's not a lot of tank Soviet tank aces. I mean, there was a lot of tank aces in the Soviets, but not, not a lot survived. They were driving different tanks. Was there any Sherman tank aces? Uh, believe it or not, yeah. His name was Dmitry Loza. Uh, he was a captain commanding the 1st Tank Battalion of the 46th Guards Tank Brigade, and he was equipped mainly with the M4 Sherman. <laughs> no way. Hey, yeah. you got to tell me about some of this. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty interesting. Uh, Dmitry Losa was a Soviet tank ace that had three Shermans shot out from underneath him. Now, wait a minute. He had three of these things shot out from three. Yes. Uh, okay. Oh, the Sherman's not a survivable tank. It's a death trap. Uh, I had that question. Uh, somebody, I was on one of the Facebook sites and they were mouthing off. Oh, the Sherman's a death trap. I'm like, oh, well, you really should talk to General Abrams. Yeah. You know, from the Abrams tanks. Yeah. He, they're like, he wasn't in a Sherman. I'm like, his Sherman was called the Thunderbolt. <laughs> And it's even in World of Tanks, and it's a great tank. And uh, believe it or not, Abrams was compared to to an equal to Patton by Patton. He says, I'm supposed to be the best tanker out there, and I'm telling you, Abe Abrams is the man. You know, he's right next wow. to me. And he had a few of those break down and underneath him because he, he got all the way up to Thunderbolt 7. Well, anyway, yeah, Dimitri, he was a veteran of service in the T-34 medium tank. And also the British-made Matilda tanks. But he was 
pretty much more well known for his driving or being in the in the M4 Shermans. That would have mainly been in the fall of 1943. So this Loza guy is a veteran. And I mean, he he knew how to drive the T-34 and drove it in combat. Yes. He drove the British Matilda in combat. And then he received his Sherman tank and he stuck with that till the clear to the end of the war. Yeah. Wow. He did. That kind of says something, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, the M4 Shermans, um, almost four tons heavier than the T-34s, with a higher center of gravity, narrower tracks, and inferior maneuverability, um, the Shermans actually took some getting used to for him to be able to drive them. Um, Their relative roominess, superior navigational equipment, and reasonably potent 76-millimeter gun eventually endeared them to their Soviet crews. Now, I know the Soviets, uh, you know, if they were firing... You know, our APCR wouldn't have any problems going through tanks. So that's probably, he's used to, you know, the Matilda shooting at Panther tanks or whatever yeah. and <laughs> bouncing right off. And he fires a 76 and he goes, I don't know what you guys are talking about. This, this gun great. I'd like to see how he compared the Matilda to the Sherman. <laughs> well, knowing the Matilda did like two miles an hour. <laughs> we are going to do an episode on the Matilda. Like we said, we're not going anywhere, people. Believe it or not, we're not going to run out of tanks to talk Ooh. about anytime soon. We're really not. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Russ. Go ahead. Uh, Lowe's unit uh, fought his way from the Ukraine through Hungary into Austria, where Loza was badly wounded in combat with a German Tiger tank on April 16th of 1945. And Charlie, will you talk about that? Um, your hunting thing that I did read as soon as I found out about this, uh, Dimitri with his Sherman tank ace, everybody says, uh, what were the chances of the survival of your tank was hit by a tiger? He survived, uh, in his interview, he said, uh, my tank was hit on April uh, 19th, 1945 in Austria. A tiger put a round straight through us. The projectile passed through the entire fighting compartment and then the engine compartment. So this 88 shot right through him. (laughs) Okay. But here's the kicker. There were three officers in the tank. I, as a battalion commander, the company commander, I guess the company commander was a Sasha Inavon. And his tank had already been hit, which was a Sherman. And he survived and got out and got in another tank. Three officers, a driver, a mechanic, radio operator. So he's got a full tank. Uh, when the tanger, he says, when the tiger hit us, the driver mechanic was killed outright. Uh, my entire left leg was wounded uh, to the right. Uh, the Sasha guy who had already lost uh, a tank had a, a traumatic uh, amputation of his right leg. And the tank commander uh, was wounded. Uh, below him said his gunner, uh, he named his gunner Alicia uh, Romaskin. I think it was Romishkin, yeah. And uh, both of his legs were blown off. A short time before the battle, we were sitting around uh, a meal, and Leechin, again, this is his uh, gunner, uh, said to me, "If I lose my legs, I will just shoot myself. Who will need me?" He was an orphan, no known relatives, and in a strange twist of fate, that had happened to him. They pulled Sasha out of the tank, and then Leisha were beginning to assist to evacuate the others. At that moment, Leisha shot himself. So this guy, who's an orphan, and he says, hey, if I lose my legs, you know, it's over for me. You know, he's he's out there, he sees his legs are gone, 
and he pulls his pistol and shoots himself and kills himself right there. That's a terrible, horrible thing, and we're, we're not making light of that, but he survived. You know, he took a tiger hit and survived. In general, uh, one or two men were always wounded or killed. Uh, it depended on where the uh, shell struck. You know, if it hit the backside of the tank or something and nobody was really injured, you know, all five bailed out. Or the tank got fired, they just bailed out. Um, Loza returned to action when the Red Army invaded the Japanese-occupied Manchuria, August 9, 1945. So even though he's tore up, they pack him up from the Western Front, ship him 9,000 miles or 6,000 miles clear over to Manchuria, and then he gets in there. Starts over and does it all again. Did he ever get wounded over in Japan? Oh, no, he got wounded in China. That's right. Was it China? Yeah, he was uh, talking about the 50 caliber machine gun, uh, the anti-aircraft gun that was on top of the uh, his Sherman. He says, uh, these machine guns were of great use to us in the war with Japan against the kamikaze attacks. Fired them so much that they got red hot and began to cook off. To this day, I have a piece of shrapnel in my head from an anti-aircraft machine gun, one of those 50 cals. Oh, man. So... Here he is, been wounded, wounded, wounded. Yeah. They send him all the way over to fight the Japanese in Manchuria to help free China. His gunner is using this anti-aircraft gun to shoot down the kamikazes. You know, they're doing the human wave thing at him. And they're firing so much because there's so many troops charging him that the gun cooks off and the barrel explodes. And he's underneath doing the command thing, and it sticks in his head. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. Well, Charlie, um, what were some of the Soviet thoughts on their Lindley-Shermans that they had? This is where we get real. we got to be careful how we say this. Uh, the Soviet Union at the time, after the Battle of World War II, even after the Battle of Berlin, there started to be the Cold War. Cold War, thus, you know, the people that lived uh, liked us, like us and with Stalin, they didn't want to talk about anything that was American. They didn't want to talk about anything besides the T-34 and KB-1 and the JS or IS type of tanks. They didn't want to talk about, you know, that we sent them Kansas Spam and Shermans. (laughs) The two S's, Spam and Shermans. People know about Spam, the canned meat. We sent tons of that stuff over to the Soviet Union, and they loved it and kept them alive. So they couldn't come out and say, Oh, yeah, yeah, we love the Lee, or we love the Sherman, you know, because their political officers were like, oh, well, now you're in a penal, you know, battalion, and you're going to be charging down German machine guns or whatever. Probably be careful what you said and how you liked it. They're like, oh, uh, you know, if Stalin says drive a Sherman, I will drive a Sherman, but uh, we would prefer great... T-34s, uh, you know, but here's Loza saying, yeah, I'll take that Sherman right there. Thank you. I've drove the uh, other tanks. I'm going to go ahead and take this. Yeah. 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 It's American junk. You know, I, I, I don't, I'll just take this. Someone's got to drive these junk tanks. And he's telling his buddies, take the Shermans. Uh, the Soviets liked the Sherman and, and was a big Sherman user. Soviets received three American medium tanks in large numbers. The Lee, the Sherman, even the, well, the I'm talking about the Sherman with the 75, and then, of course, the uh, Shermans with the 76. Like you said, we had 4,100 of those. Um, and, and they used the Lee in the Battle of Kursk to great effect. You know, uh, the, the Lee out there were actually shooting at Ferdinands and Tigers and Panthers and doing what they were supposed to be doing. Only the U.K. used more uh, Sherman tanks 
though they received only five armed with the 76. Um, they got more of the 75s. And you got to remember, the British were throwing on their 17-pounder. Uh, you know, it's not like they didn't like the 76. They just had the ammo and everything for the 17-pounders. Uh, oh, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Uh, the Lee was considered a good design by the Soviet unions. They liked the transmission, the differential, and the final drives, and the steering, and the brake me- uh, mechanic. They loved the 75 and the machine guns. You know, they used the Lee. They thought that was great. Yeah, the Lee was used more in the secondary theaters, but they used it. Uh, one thing I found very interesting, they could pack up to 10 people in, a, uh, in the Lee and... Uh, 10 of these guys, besides the crew, they'd pack 10 people in there. And it was a, like a Soviet submachine, submachine gun infantry. I think they called them the PPSH-41. That, that's the machine gun they had. They'd pack these into the Lee, and along with their regular seven-man crew, it made for a makeshift APC, uh, armored personnel carrier. So the thing was packed full of people. And the archives say all the weapons could be fired at, fired on the tank uh, while those 10 men were stuffed inside. So with even 10 guys stuffed in there besides their crew, they could still fire all their guns. And you forget the, the Lee had a heater. So these crews are driving down the road, having a good time, you know, getting ready to go into battle. And at least they're going to be warm. So I guess the U.S. Army and the Brits didn't try this because they liked their comfort or something. Were there any negatives associated with the Soviet Lee? The Soviet Lee did not fare well against upgraded Panzer IVs with its long 75. So they sent them off to secondary theaters, like I was talking about, uh, where they were still useful and there were no enemy tanks around. They also love the heater. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. We, we stress the heater because uh-huh. if you have not been to Moscow during the winter, ask Napoleon and you know Hitler. and it, It's really cold up there. Yeah, they probably enjoyed their heater. The Soviets received 1,386 lead tanks. The Soviets received, what, 1,990 of the M3 75mm guns on the Shermans, and then they got uh, another 2,021 with the 76. Yeah, um, talking a little bit more about the M4A2, and they designated the M4A2 76W, and that was the Sherman with the 76mm gun. The Soviets were the second biggest users of the 76mm Shermans. Yeah, the production of the 75mm armed Shermans was reduced. As Sherman production was streamlined down from the 10 factories that were producing it, three factories that were producing them were the Fisher, Chrysler, and the Prest Steel Car Companies. Wow. Uh, The Soviet Union received 2,073 M4A2 tanks with the 76mm M1A1 gun, and this was just about Fisher's whole production run of the 76mm armed M4A2. So. So... If you find a 76 Sherman sitting somewhere in the Soviet Union or Russia, it's going to be from the Fisher plant, probably. Yeah, from the Fisher plant that (laughs) that built them, yeah. Good info. Uh, These tanks would have started out with uh, wet racks, uh, all-around vision cupolas, a split loader hatch, and an M1A1 76-millimeter gun without a barrel threaded for a muzzle brake. Wow. So they didn't actually come with any muzzle brakes. A few may have even had T-23 turrets without the ventilator on the rear. 
these tanks would eventually be produced in the ultimate configuration with the M1A2 gun and the HVSS suspension. Now, when they talk about the ultimate, uh, that's with the best suspension they ever came up with and the best gun and the best turrets, and that's just the final ultimate of that. I, the only problem I have with that is, you know, the French and the Israelis used the Super Sherman. But, the, you know, that was years and years ahead. So they finally got the Sherman the way it should be and just about perfect. Yep, that's the way it sounds. Yeah, these tanks saw extensive combat unit um, use with the Soviet guards units um, in the Soviet Union. The Russians loved the M4A2 76W tanks and used them in elite units. But again, they couldn't come out and say they loved them. Exactly, um, yeah. You know, and that's the, understandable. I mean, that's, sure. yeah. With the Cold War and everything, yeah. but a lot of records were lost. Yeah. And, and other, you know, good acknowledgments and them saying, hey, the Sherman was a great tank or this. They couldn't say that. You know, yeah. that was a big no-no. T-34s were used in guards units as well, and some units had both T-34s and, and Shermans. The Soviet tankers felt safer in the Shermans and, and loved the turret basket. If you guys don't know what a turret basket is, that's basically kind of what it says. It's a basket where the loader and the gunner and uh, the commander are actually in this type of basket as the turret turns. Now, what a lot of people don't know is most of your Russian tanks had no basket. And they're like, well, what's the deal on that 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 means that the loader would have to stand on the hull of the tank standing with head up in the turret and as it moved he had to move too so can you imagine the turret moving him trying to unload throw shells on the floor there's shells rolling around and he's trying to have to dance over them and load yeah i could see why they would love this turret basket on the sherman wow so he could throw the, you know, on a turret basket, he could throw it on the ground or the basket. And when the turret turned, he turned with it because he was standing on the oh. basket. So he didn't have to dance because if you fell. Oh, yeah, anything. Even if you, they hit something on the road or wherever they're driving across, it bounce you around. And, now, could, oh. you, could you imagine a 75 millimeter shell, you know, high explosive, and you're sitting there holding it and it's bouncing around and you fall? Oh, man. Here, let's get no. a bunch of explosives and drop on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's give that a try and see what happens. But, but again, like we said, uh, they, Soviets did have political officers that discouraged talking about uh, how good the Sherman was. Getting them wind up charged with a political crime and being sent to a uh, suicide penal corp. And we talked about how they would be forced to charge. Yeah. Um, let's get into some of the battles. Tell me about a battle. Yeah, let's talk about the Battle of Vienna a little bit here. Um, the tanks of the First Guards Mechanized Corps were the first to enter Vienna. And the battle for Vienna on April 2nd, actually the Vienna radio denied that the Austrian capital had been declared an open city. Yeah, and on the same day, Soviet troops approached Vienna from the south after they overran several Austrian cities. So when we're talking about Vienna, if you don't know what Vienna is, it is uh, the capital of Aust- Austria. I think Hitler actually studied art in Vienna. He was actually wanting to be an artist. 
No, but that's another story. I'm sorry. Go ahead. After arriving in the Vienna area, the armies of the Soviet 3rd Ukrainian Front surrounded, besieged, and attacked the city. Actually involved in this action was the Soviet 6th Guards Tank Army. 05 Resistance Group, Austrians led by Karl Zokol, wanting to spare Vienna destruction, actively attempted to sabotage the German defenses and to aid the entry of the Red Army. So this resistance group uh, leader is like, no, 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 the the Red Army is going to come in and just destroy it, and then the Germans are wanting to fight street by street. So he had his resistance guys trying to destroy trenchments and defenses just so the Russians could come on in and have no problems. The German forces facing the Soviet attackers were the German 2nd SS Panzer Corps, along with ad hoc forces made up of Hitler Youth. And anti-aircraft units? Yeah, and anti-aircraft units also. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, uh, no offense, the German 2nd SS Panzer Corps was a solid corps. It, it was a veteran fighting corps. Uh, using the Hitler Youth and anti-aircraft units... Well, I guess you use what you got. Yeah, you use what you had left, yeah. Uh, Declared a defensive region, Vienna's defense was commanded by SS General Wilhelm Bittrich. Um, His second tank corps had virtually wiped out a British Airborne Division. Um, During the fighting, the general had made an arrangement permitting the enemy to run a field hospital situated behind the German lines. Party functionaries had taken it upon themselves to kill British and American pilots and Bittrich was cast into the role of a liar. His violent denunciation of the party was all the more striking since it came from an SS general. If you've ever seen the movie uh, Bridge Too Far, Operation Market Garden, there had been some paratroopers uh, that had dropped down uh, an airborne division, and this general said, yeah, yeah, you know, we're going to let you put up a, a field hospital and treat your guys, and we won't bomb them and we won't attack them. But then the, you know, Nazi party members, uh, some of the functionaries uh, went out there and they killed these British and American pilots. So when the Allies heard about it, man, this general was done. He, he, they're like, you're a liar and a murderer. And, they, and he's like, hey, hey, I didn't do this. The, you know, that was these guys. I had no idea. For him to come out as an SS, you know, saying these Nazi political guys that was a big thing but that's probably why he got stuck down in vienna trying to stop the russians yeah uh, the battle for the austrian capital was characterized in some cases by fierce urban combat but there was also parts of the city the soviets advanced into with little opposition uh, the soviets assaulted vienna's eastern and southern suburbs with the fourth guard army The German defenders kept the Soviets out of the city's southern suburbs until April 7th. However, after successfully achieving several footholds in the southern suburbs, the Soviets then moved into the western suburbs of the city on April 8th. The western suburbs were especially important to the Soviets because they included Vienna's main railway station. The Soviets needed these railroad stations like you're talking about to move up more troops, supplies, uh, just everything that they needed. And like you were saying, some of the parts of Vienna they just walked into because these resistance guys were coming over to their side and saying, hey, there's nobody over here. You know, hey, there's nobody over here. So they could move in. But there were certain streets. These 
the Sherman tank had to go down these streets and fight door to door. And they were doing their job. By April 9th, the Soviet troops began to infiltrate the center of the city, but the street fighting continued for several more days. On the night of April 11th, the 4th Guards Army stormed the Danube Canals with the 1st Mechanized Corps moving on the Reichsbrück Bridge. April 13th, a Danube River flotilla landed troops of the 7th Guards Airborne Division on both sides of the bridge, cutting demolition cables and securing the Danube Bridge. When Hitler said, hey, blow these bridges, they knew, the Soviets knew, and I guess the resistance guys knew that they were, you know, going to blow these bridges. So they needed to take these bridges. So they set up with their airborne guys and a flotilla, and they they went down the middle of the river, jumped out on both sides, and captured the bridge. Captured the bridge. Now, that's awesome. However, other important bridges were destroyed uh, Vienna finally fell when Bittrich's 2nd SS Panzer Corps pulled out to the west on the evening of April 13th to avoid encirclement. The 2nd SS Panzer left the ad hoc forces and dozen artillery pieces, including 37mm anti-aircraft guns, to hold off enemy attacks. He knows he's going to lose. Um, they've been fighting for seven days, street to street. He's got his you know, Panzer tanks on there. The Shermans are coming down, fighting them street to street, and killing them, and moving, and going forward. And he knows he's going to be encircled. And he's already lost two bridges. Uh, he's lost the railroads. He knows that the you know supplies are coming, trains are coming, more tanks are coming. And he's got to pull out. So he has no choice but to leave the Hitler Youth and these anti-aircraft units to cover his retreat. The Germans now moved northwest to hold the next defensive line, and all but two of the bridges in the city had been destroyed. The Floridsdorf Bridge had been left intact by a Fuhrer order dictating that the bridge be held at all costs. Hitler believed he would need it to actually retake Vienna. So he was saying blow all the bridges but this one, and he's saying, no, no, don't blow this bridge because I'm going to need it when I come back down to take Vienna back, but he was saying, no, no, you guys can't leave. You have to protect this bridge at least. Yes. But he already bailed. But he already bailed, yeah. Wow. Yeah, M4 Shermans from the 1st Mechanized Corps also played an important part in circling the ring around Berlin from the northwest. So that's, so even the Shermans were in the Battle of Berlin. Yeah. Now, um, if you don't know what the IS-2 or JS-2 tank is, it's an assault tank. And it was actually sent down the center uh, of the streets in Berlin to fight street to street. But uh, I guess these Shermans were doing their jobs, helping and circling and firing and doing their stuff. So I guess Shermans all the way through the world you know, did, yeah. did go into Berlin yeah, and yeah, take it. Yeah. Uh, did Shermans take any part in any other liberation battles yeah the uh, sherman tanks also took part in the liberation of prague um, the capital of the czech republic nice so they were used in several different battles well like i said yeah there's so many uh battles that we shouldn't lose to the history of time and i'm asking my listeners or our listeners uh, to learn about these uh battles uh the liberation of prague um that was a big battle you might want to read up on that and the battle of berlin we are going to do an episode uh, about the you know 
Battle of Berlin, because that's an important battle. It is, yes, very important. Uh, even after Germany was defeated, the war was not over for the Soviet M4 Shermans. The Ninth Guards, uh, they would travel on to China to push the Jap- Japanese troops out of Manchuria. And yeah, with, with the Soviet Far East Command in Manchuria in 1945, after traveling 6,000 miles from Europe by rail, Soviet units marched the last 200 miles to the Manchurian border across the treeless Mongolian desert in blazing heat. As part of Stalin's agreement with the Allies, the United States helped feed and arm the Soviet host. Some 500 new Sherman tanks were offloaded at Russian ports. Now, by this time, Roosevelt was dead, I believe. And, yes, he was. And Truman was there. There was an agreement that after the Germans were beat, that they would come help with the Japanese. And they were like, hey, hey, United States, we're going to send you, again, our famous Spam and Shermans, the two S's. I guess America had its own SS group. It was was Spam and Shermans. Spam and Shermans. Well, you know what? That'll get you moving. But the main point is, is these guys, these Sherman tanks, Helped take Berlin, put in a heck of a fight, and these guys are exhausted. And then they pack up, travel 6,000 miles by rail, and then they get dumped off in the Mongolian desert, and they got to hike 200 miles to go and jump in the middle of a fight. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Okay, you can say whatever you want against Soviet troops. You know, I know there's a lot of people... But come on, that's that's respect. That is. That is a lot of Pack respect. Pack up 6,000 miles on rail, go clear across, and then have to hike. And, and guess what? The Shermans didn't break down. Yeah, through they're, all that. They're yeah. in Berlin during the snow and cold and everything. Get sent all the way over to Burning Desert. For the first time in the war, the Soviets created a full-fledged separate theater of operations. The Soviet Far East Command's plan implemented by its commander... Marshal Alexander Vasilevsky was simple but massive, calling for envelopment of the Japanese defenses, followed by the capture of Sakhalin and the Kuril Islands, and possibly even northern Hokkaido. Now, these are Japanese islands. They did take these islands. I think the Russians still own those islands. I think that's a little... Still a little sore spot even today with the Japanese. So he decided... To, you know, take these islands and just encircle them yeah. and use a big pincer movement. Okay, tell us about this pin- pincer movement. Yeah, the pincer movement would be carried out with the new Shermans and the ones brought from the German theater. Uh, this was to be a blitzkrieg offensive, relying on speed to preempt Japanese responses. Wow. When they landed, or, or when they got to the Mongolian desert, um, German stayed, you know, Stayed true to the promises, you know, here's the food, here's the medical supplies, and here's 500 of these brand new Sherman tanks with the gear in them and the 50 cows on top. And we got 500 of these brand new babies with the 76 and the ultimate configuration. And they're like, yeah. And don't forget about the spam. Oh, you can't forget about the spam. Yeah, we got. You know what? I'm I'm going to do some more research on the spam. Yeah, and and see how many tons that they got. Exactly. Yeah, that'd be interesting. But didn't your uh, tank ace 
Yeah, your tank ace uh, boy, Dimitri, yeah. must have got one of these brand new ultimates. I bet he did. And he's a happy boy now. Uh, yep. Japan's Kwangtung Army, estimated by Moscow to number at at least 713,724 second line troops, organized into 24 infantry divisions, um, nine infantry brigades, and two tank brigades. These Japanese tanks were all destroyed with zero losses of Sherman's due to Japanese tanks, and the surrender of Imperial Japan was announced on August 15th and formally signed on September 2nd, 1945. We are going to get into the Japanese tanks. In fact, uh, I think that should be our next episode. That'll be really interesting, yeah. yeah. And again, we're not making fun of the Japanese tanks. There was a reason the Japanese had these type of tanks, and we're going to discuss them, and we're going to talk about it. And, But we're talking about, what, two brigades of tanks, uh, Japanese tanks, and here comes your tank ace, Dimitri, and he smokes them all. They're all the, the, These two brigades of tanks are wiped out, and these Sherman tanks have no losses, and none of them broke down. Drive 200 miles across the desert, yeah. get into a fight with two tank brigades, kill them all, and they're just driving around saying, well, uh, we got we captured some sake and we got spam. Now we got three S's. We got sake and spam in the Sherman. <laughs> so the, the Japanese surrendered, uh, what, September 2nd, 1945. Yeah. Well, that was a really interesting episode. How long did we run, Russ? Almost an hour. Yeah. Wow. Just dry that an hour, yeah. Uh, we, I know we get long, people, and we'll probably even get longer, but uh, we, we we just love talking about stuff. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start our closing, but like I said, we're going to do the Japanese episode next, I think, explain why the Japanese tanks were the way they were. Uh, can we throw in a couple of tank battles that Japanese got into? Sure. I think they'll probably have a few. Because I know... I've got a friend whose great-grandfather was in the Indian Army and uh, had gotten in a scrap with uh, Japanese tanks with with a leaf. Again, love the leaf. The leaf. And then uh, we've got the battle uh, of these two brigades in Manchuria. And then I think the Marines, uh, Shermans, fought in Saipan. It was probably the biggest tank battle on the islands. Well, uh, tell people how they can contact us and give us some other info. Yeah, uh, don't forget, um, you can contact us through our email address, twotankersandcat at gmail.com. Um, also, make sure you get out there and like our Facebook page. Just search for Two Tankers and Cat on Facebook, and that should come up. And make sure you give us a like. Yeah, we do a lot of our... Uh, outreach and everything on Facebook. Um, so leave us your comments and everything on anything we put on there. Don't forget that you can also leave us a voicemail and that phone number is 785-380-9844. And what you can do there is just leave us a voicemail and we will actually include that voicemail on one of our next podcasts and either answer your questions or your comments or or anything you want to tell us. If you just want to say hi, reach out to us, and we'll include that in one of our podcasts. Oh, that's excellent. Someone's got to call us. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm tempted to call us just to 
get it put on there and <laughs> show people how it works. Yeah, no, nobody loves us. Nobody <laughs> wants to call us. Okay, well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, this is Charlie. And this is Russell. And as always, happy tanking and have a great week. <laughs>